Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Jackie, I'm digging the extended cut. <clears throat> I am. We went a little deeper on the theme today, and I like it. I like it a lot, so we'll probably play a little bit more of that. Hello, kids, and welcome to something that is completely unique for me. I am your guest host. Yes. Danny Austin was supposed to be guest hosting for me. Danny is now at the Ryan Huska press conference. He's going to join us in a little while, as will Ryan Pike. And I am guest hosting for Danny on my show. I have never done that before. Uh, so bear with me. Bear with me. You know what it's like when a guest host comes on. It's never the same. Uh, welcome, everybody. We are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. And I do want to acknowledge and say hello to my good friends in Siksika. Uh, Tomorrow is the annual health fair. Uh, we will be out. I will be out in Siksika tomorrow. Uh, what a uh, it's amazing what Dr. Tyler White and Siksika Health have put together uh, here over time. Um, but if you can imagine a health fair in which the area children are all, all coming in and there's going to be some great different groups, uh, sports entities, the Calgary Surge will be there, Calgary Minor Soccer will be there, I believe the Calgary Hitman will be there, um, the Flames alumni are coming to sign autographs, and then over lunch, there's going to be wrestling. Dungeon Wrestling will be there, and there will be uh, two, uh, two matches. Um, so I'm really excited about that, and just a tip of the hat to my friends out at Siksika. Uh, we are an inclusive podcast. Everybody's welcome. Uh, this is a safe place. We are allies to all except idiots and stupid people. Uh, we've avoided them uh, for the most part, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, for the most part, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, you are welcome here. Uh, well, what a day. Uh, the Calgary Flames uh, have announced their 24th head coach, 24th head coach in team history, Ryan Huska. No surprise. That was... Uh, the cat was let out of the bag by Elliot Friedman last week. He doesn't let much out of the bag that doesn't come to fruition. Um, the Stanley Cup is on the cusp, on the cusp of going to a team that is in their sixth season. The Vegas Golden Knights up three games to one. We're going to have to wait a day for that. Um, how about this? The 20-year anniversary, at least for the year, from when Mike Weir won the Masters. And I think we all remember where we were when Mike Weir won the Masters. It's a quintessential Canadian moment. It, it forever cemented 
Mike Weir in the minds of sports fans, not golf fans, sports fans in Canada. It was a wave the flag moment. It was a drape yourself in the flag moment. It was our moment, um, a heritage moment, whatever you want to call it. How about Canadian Nick Taylor yesterday? The first Canadian to win the RBC Canadian Open, the Canadian Open, in 69 years. Okay, that's cool. But you know what's really cool? The way he did it. 72-foot eagle putt on the fourth playoff hole. Far be it for me to be the arbiter of golf achievements because the game and I have a very rocky relationship. Um, we're very upfront about it. It doesn't like me, and I don't like it. But we're very respectful of the fact how important it is in the lives of many and how important it is uh, for us to have success on the national stage. Before we go too far off the beaten path, I do want to acknowledge Brooke Henderson, because not, not only does she win tournaments, she dominates tournaments. She's arguably the best Canadian golfer we've ever had professionally. Having said that, there is something about this tournament. There is something about what happened yesterday. It is a quintessential Canadian moment, and one I think we will be talking about for a long time. Uh, week one in the CFL is over. Uneven, rocky. Um, I, you know, uh, two teams on the road win, two teams at home win. Uh, arguably the best game of the week was Winnipeg and Hamilton, if you like scoring. Um, last night, though, Saskatchewan on the road in Edmonton with a, an incredible goal line stance that protected and sealed the win for them. Um, and into basketball we go, too, because we do need to acknowledge the fact the NBA is on the cusp of crowning a first-ever champion uh, with a Canadian at the helm of that, Jamal Murray. Uh, 3-1 Denver leading Miami with Game 5 back in Denver tonight. Uh, speaking of which, and uh, very excited to do so, talk about the team that I, I do a little bit of work for, the Calgary Surge. Uh, yesterday moved to 5-1 and one after an 80-63 to 63 win on the road in Saskatoon over the Rattlers. That comes after an outstanding game on Friday night. Uh, the Ottawa Blackjacks uh, had the lead for a lot of this game, but in the end it was Calgary pulling away, winning 86-79. Uh, the Surge now moved to 5-1. and one. I'm seeing the same thing over and over and over again. If you haven't gone to a surge game, you need to go to a surge game. You better get to a surge game. Go to a surge game. Well, this week, you're going to have a great opportunity. Vancouver's here on Wednesday. The team's at home on Friday and on Sunday. So three games in the span of five days at Winsport. So if you haven't checked out the surge, this would be the weekend to do it. And oh, by the way, uh, the Jays avoided the sweep against Minnesota yesterday, winning 7-6, moved to 37-30. and They're half game back of a wild card, but they're double digits back of Tampa in the race for the LA East. Let that sink in for a minute. This was supposed to be a Jays team that was going to contend, and it is. It's contending, but I don't think anybody figured that Tampa team was going to be as good as they are, and the Rays are way out there. Toronto off uh, for a day, and they'll take on Baltimore. So in terms of the summer sports scene locally, oh, by the way, throw in there the Cavalry one, two, three, one at home yesterday. So starting Tommy Wielden Jr.'s team is starting to get that. I mean, they a lot of draws, a lot of draws, a lot of draws. Now they're starting to get the results. Um, and again, continuing to find ways to enthrall the home fans. Another place, if you haven't been out to Adco Field, do yourself 
a favor and get out there. Some great sports going on in this city, some great sports going on in the world. But let's deal with the 800-pound gorilla in the room. The Calgary Flames hosting a 12:30 press conference. They introduced Ryan Huska. Nobody is surprised. Uh, the press conference, which I got a chance to watch most of to introduce this guy, was crisp and professional. Crisp and professional. That's how I would describe Ryan Huska's first meeting with the media. Crisp and professional. It was not mind-blowing. It was not um, a gong show, a dumpster fire. Uh, it was not a revival. It was not a TED Talk. It was crisp and professional. Uh, Craig Conroy talking off the top, reiterated the steps that they took in which they used to search for a general manager. Uh, many of us had speculated because of the pay out the buyout for Daryl Sutter, that there may be some financial restrictions placed on Craig in terms of who he could hire. Uh, Conroy said he got carte blanche from ownership from John Bean, their marching orders, go get the right coach. Uh, Ryan Huska, the difference it sounds like, and, and we'll have uh, both Ryan Pike and Danny Austin on who were in the press conference. I just watched the stream. Like I'm sure many of you did. Um, I, I think, the, the difference being for Conroy was that all of the things he was looking for in a coach was in the presentation that Ryan Huska made. And that was without talking to him. That was without consulting to him. It was an easy, easy call. I think Conroy made a good point, or at least I think he was trying to get the point across that when they brought Ryan Huska up as an assistant, they knew this stuff. So none of this was a surprise in the sense of, oh, well, we didn't know if there was a surprise. And I thought that Conroy was very candid about it, was that Huska was a forward and he was running the defense and the penalty kill. And, and, and Conroy thought maybe we should have a defenseman doing this. And he said, I was wrong. Uh, but what I was also really excited about, and, and a guy that we do not talk, um, we just don't talk enough about Al McNeil Chopper the original chopper, uh, Al McNeil. If you don't know who Al McNeil is, and I, and I appreciate that. He's been out of the spotlight for a long, long time. He comes up every once in a while in a Peter Marsh story here and there. Um, spent a long time in the Montreal Canadiens organization when they were the team. Um, you know, back has his roots back to the original six. Chopper is a guy that if you work at CSEC, he's this older gentleman who walks with a cane, that you take and um, undervalue him or underestimate him at your own uh, risk. That, that's your issue. One of the smartest hockey people I've ever been around loved bumping into Al McNeil in the hallway. Um, I, I think I put this out on Twitter about a year ago or so when we lost Guy Lafleur. I bumped into Al in the hallway and, and he spent 15 minutes telling me things about a guy I thought I knew front and back. And I didn't, he, he, he could tell stories about Guy Lafleur and, and knew him, you know, as, as a prospect, as a player and as, as a retired player. Um, but it was interesting. And, and I think bodes very well for this organization that Craig Conroy mentioned Al McNeil. Um, 
crisp and professional is how I would is reference this press conference. But I also thought, and I was excited about this, was it? it seemed like a little more attention was paid to the alumni that the acknowledgement of Glenn Cross, Stajan, and Commodore being in the back of the room uh, at the beginning and welcomed. Um, not to say that the Flames alumni haven't been welcomed at events, but it just felt like they were more of a formal part of this. The fact that Ryan Huska could go back to his youth and and speak about having breakfast, winning a contest, him and his teammates, and getting to have breakfast with Colin Patterson and, and how that in, impacted him as a young player. These things have value. Um, do you win a Stanley Cup because Ryan Huska had breakfast as an eight-year-old with Colin Patterson? No, maybe not. But it has value in terms of how your coach approaches his role. When you hear from the man, and there's a couple things that jumped out at me, uh, he did talk about a fresh start. He did talk about the fact that not naming players by by name, uh, that's us. That's We will do that. We'll, we'll take their words and we'll add the names. But Jonathan Huberto, Kadri, you know, other players who need a fresh start. Markstrom, they're going to get a fresh start. He answered the question because he, he's right. He's right. It's a unique position that he has been put into. And a lot has been written about it, about rising from the ranks of assistant coach to head coach. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe on Flames Nation, we have written about, uh, well, we, that that somehow I'm giving myself credit. That's not the, the case. But Robert Munich wrote about coaches who were promoted from assistant to head coach on the same NHL teams. You can get that at Flames Nation. That's the kind of offerings we make to you. He talked about that. He talked about the need to be consistent, the need to be prepared, that these are things that um, he will bring to the table. Not once did I ever, ever get the sense, and I, and I would encourage you to go back and watch it if you didn't watch it, if you're just, or maybe you watched it and you're turning over to this. This is just my opinion on it. I never got the sense in this that he was ever saying, well, Daryl did this, so I'm going to do that. I, I never got that me versus him thing. I, I don't think that's an issue. As a matter of fact, he was very uh, complimentary of the coaches that he's worked for. Uh, speaking of which, no, there was no formal announcement about assistance or, you know, staff other than, um, you know, he's going to begin that process right now. And I know the name out there is Mitch Love. And at some point, at some point we will broach that today. Um, he, uh, where else? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the other couple of points that I would bring up, he's, he's talked to Elias Lindholm. Craig Conroy brought that up. He was asked a direct question about Elias Lindholm that, you know, in his press conference when he was announced, Craig Conroy prioritized Elias Lindholm and getting him under contract. Um, Huska talked to him today. Conroy's going to talk to him later. Conroy did speak to the fact that they kept players involved in the in the communicate in the uh, process. They communicated to the pro players. Uh, went out of the way to talk about Jonathan Huberto and the amount of communication they did there. Conroy again reiterated that he felt that um, he, Huberto just needs to play, just go play. Um, maybe the one, now that I'm thinking about it in real time, and I, I would ask for 
feedback from those who watched it or I would ask from feedback who were there. Maybe the point about um, ice time that, you know, Huberto just wants to play, that you're going to play, you're going to play a lot. You know, Huska said that. I, I suppose that that is, um, by its very nature, a, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a a response to what happened last year. Um, and I don't want to put it all on one guy, but Nick Ritchie in the shootout, I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to play your big players all more. I think that's what we said. And then I think, um, yeah, just a lot about, you know, the, the, the process of it, the, the thought process of it, the opportunity crisp and professional. That's how I would describe this press conference. I don't think it's going to lead Sports Center. I don't think it's going to lead Sports Central. I don't think it's going to be, well, I was going to say on the cover of the newspaper. Yeah, there's one newspaper. It probably will be, but it, but it's not it's not one that you're going to go, wow, that, that was memorable. But it might be one that you go back and go, he said that, he did that, he followed through on that. That's why it happened. So the Flames... 24th coach, and, and Jack, jump on here. Uh, just for a um, a comparison, your favorite team Steelers, is yeah. the Steelers. And you were telling me off the air that since 1969, the Steelers have had how many coaches? Three. Three coaches in the last 54 years. It's insane. It's insane. Matter of fact, the Calgary Flames have had three coaches in the last five years. They might have had more than that. So, anyway, I thought and, – and different sports, and they don't – I get that. But one of the things that did come up in this conversation for Conroy, and I think we've talked about it here, is this club has got to start building some continuity. It had uh, continuity with the general manager – I would say that true living was here for nine years, but it's got to have continuity at the coaching level. One thing that Daryl Sutter did one record that Daryl Sutter set this year. And I think I'm the only one that cared about it. I really do. I, I think other people saw it and just who cares, but the fact that Daryl Sutter is the Calgary flames, all time games coach leader. Just over 400, around 408, 410 games he ended up. He passed uh, Bob Johnson, I believe, and became the all-time at 400. Only the Florida Panthers, the only the Florida Panthers, outside of Vegas and Seattle and all that, but only the Florida Panthers can sport a, co a, a, a coach that has never coached more than 400 games. That's it. The Dallas Stars, I believe, have five coaches who have over 400 games coached. And, and Conroy talked about that. He wants Huska and him to be a team for 10, 15 years. Great. Everybody says it. Um, but they've got to get to that. Management has got to get to that. Ownership has got to get to that. And you know who else has got to get to that? The media and the fans. The media and the fans. We are culpable from this standpoint that we are very quick in this market to fire coaches. We are very quick to pull the rug out from underneath the bench bosses of our teams. 
I made that observation when I moved here 20 years ago. I maintain that observation today. I'm not saying for a second that the Canucks fans don't get angry with their, I'm not saying Riders fans don't get angry with their, I'm not saying any of that. But it is too easy in this city to lay the the blame at the feet of the coach. We are absolutely, if if we had, on the back of our tax, tax assessments, on the back of tax assessments in Calgary, it should say it's easier to fire the coach than 20 guys because that's how we view it in this town. And particularly in the last decade, they are disposable. Now, I think you look around the league and this league is catching up. I think the NBA is catching up. I think the Steelers are, are some sort of aberration of an abnormality that you won't find very, very many places outside. You know, for you who are premiership fans, I don't have to tell you about sacking the manager. I, I get it. But the Calgary Flames need to reset. They need a culture change that doesn't involve tying a can to the coach every single time. I get it. How hypocritical of you there, big slow guy on my internet podcast, because you were running Daryl Sutter out of town. Yep. Uh, wasn't running him out of town, but I understood you needed change. Um, I get the change for... Uh, there's not too many coaches here that I don't get to change. Like, I, it makes sense. But at some point, you got to tough it out. At some point, you got to allow a coach to coach himself out of trouble. Um, real easy to say. Hindsight, 2020, not anticipating that everybody's going to agree with me. Don't need everybody to agree with me. But that was the one piece that I took from this particular conversation today was they need a, this organization needs a reset. It needs a reset in the way it does business. This needs to be an anomaly. This needs to be a coach that's here for a while. Um, I think he can be. I think the GM would like that. Um, but I think it has to be something institutional. It cannot be a knee-jerk reaction to everything. It cannot be, my gosh, we'll lose season ticket holders or suite holders or advertisers. If It's just so easy in this market to fire coaches and that has to change what's next well i would say the hiring of the staff you've got uh, contracts that are running out on goalie coaches assistant coaches associate coaches uh, i know you're all sitting there going we not all of you. I shouldn't say that. That That's insulting. I didn't mean to insult all of you. But a few of you have had your watches out going. Uh, we are now 23 minutes and 54 seconds into the show, and you've mentioned Mitch Love once. That is correct. Um, Darren Haynes was on the show on Friday, and we were talking about if Huska, what would, what would love? And somebody, uh, we, we put out the post or whatever. Somebody responded to the post. Well, it's not that hard. You just make love an associate assistant coach well maybe but maybe he doesn't want to maybe he doesn't want to you know may i don't know um i know this i know that i have been around the game long enough that i have seen 
a well-compensated NHL coach, assistant coach. Actually, I think he was associate. No, he might have just been an assistant coach. Up and leave in the middle of a training camp and go to Russia so he can be a head coach. I have seen NHL assistant coaches take dramatic cuts in pay and ride buses and get off charters because they'd rather be a head coach and run their own shop. I don't speak for Mitch Love. Only Mitch Love speaks for Mitch Love. He will make the determination of where and when he will coach next. I mean, I'm assuming he has the option of going back to, to, to Cal- the Wranglers if he wants. But in this equation, um, will he be part of the staff? Sure, he could be part of the staff. Um, Kale McClain could be part of the staff. Jason LaBarber could be part of the staff. Kirk Muller could be part of the staff. Or they could go elsewhere. And I'm always fascinated by the relationships and the partnerships that we create in the game that finally, finally come to fruition. Is there a former teammate? Is there a former Western Hockey League opponent? Is there a guy that you bumped into at a coaching conference that you've just been waiting for the perfect opportunity to work together? Is there a name out there? My guess is that's probably going to happen too. I mean, I, I, you know, Bill Peters and Brad for living, uh, th- that all seemed to start way back um, in a, a world championships. They worked together. Uh, Bob Hartley and, and Jay Feaster. That was an American hockey league combination. Um, that could be part of this too. Um, we will find out. Craig Conroy's got a draft to prepare for. Um, we understand as well uh, from our friend Elliot Friedman. All right, I'll tell you what, Free, Friedman does not miss on much. Uh, he's hard on himself. He's really hard on himself. If you listen to his podcast or you know him at all, he's hard on himself. But he doesn't go without things being sourced. And I know um, over the weekend, he made some waves around the flames uh, talking about Noah Hannafin. Now, if I have this correctly, and I believe we have the the piece, um, do we not? Yeah. Okay. Should we show it first? Let's show it first. Okay. I think one of the names you're going to start to hear a little bit of here is Noah Hannafin from Calgary. He's got one more year like a lot of the Calgary players do. And I think teams have begun to ask the Flames, what exactly are you thinking about here? What's the future? I think, you know, a lot of us are talking about Winnipeg right now and and for good reason. But low-key, I think Calgary could be just as interesting a team as Winnipeg over the next few weeks, depending on where all, how all these players feel about their futures. So I think it's... I think it's really important and and context is huge and social media is not fantastic for context, but it's, it's necessary. It's really important that people understand teams are calling Calgary. Don't think Calgary shopping Noah Hannafin. I think the flame situation, again, there's no secrets, no secrets at all. They they've talked about it. They have seven potential free agents a year from now. They've talked about how smart, how much they're still smarting over allowing Johnny Gaudreau to walk away and the, you know, being forced to do something with Kachuk. And everybody's talking about they'll never do that again. They'll never go through that again. They won't put themselves in that position. So that's just, that's just common sense. Um, you saw single-handedly the Columbus Blue Jackets last week suck up a couple of player defensemen, young 
not unlike Hannafin type defenseman out of the marketplace and Provorov and uh, Severson. I, I, I have to admit, I'm still working my way through reacclimatizing myself to the roster and the decisions and the finances uh, with the advantage. I know Ryan's going to join us here. He's just a little bit backed up, but he's going to join us. Ryan Pike from uh, Flames Nation, and, and then we'll get Danny Austin in a little while. I, I'm not moving Noah Hannafin, but I'm not also living day-to-day with the contracts and the, the dollar figures, and I might be missing something on this. So am I surprised that teams are calling about him? No. Um, but am I trading him for a third round pick? Like, no, no, I'm not. Um, I'm excited that Oliver Shillington is coming back. I am excited that Oliver Shillington has found the piece that he needed to find. Um, and I'm hoping that when he comes back, he will be better than ever. But I'm, I'm also a little late on the Oliver Shillington bandwagon. I, I think he's, I think he's good. Uh, I think he's an NHL defenseman. But I'm not blown away by this defense core outside of Rasmus Anderson. Um, you know, I, I like Chris Tanev a lot, but injury pro, injuries. Uh, Zadorov, fan favorite. I like him. Um, I, I get that part. Uh, and Poirier at some point. But I'm not sure unless, you know, you move one to get another. And again, I want to be really careful how Elliot phrased that because it is important. The context is important. The teams are calling. So teams are calling. And then he also said low key. Um, Winnipeg, and, and I feel for Jets fans, I really, really do. Um, you know, you make the line A deal for Dubois and, and it just seems like it's been doomed from the get go. Um you know, there's chatter about Hellebuck will not sign an extension, et cetera. I, I don't think any of these are surprises, but I feel for the I feel for the organization. They put together these players. They haven't been able to win with these players. Um, you know, it, it's difficult sometimes to move on. Uh, I think Calgary has the very similar situation. I go back to almost two months ago when Boomer popped on this show and we were talking about the Big Seven and he point blank asked me, what do you do with Elias Lindholm? And I, I said, oh, I bring him back. And, and you know, Boomer wasn't. And I, there was no shortage of people that reached out through uh, social media and, and said, no, 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 you're, you're crazy if you bring him back. Um, I still think the, the strength of this league is down the middle. I still think you got to have centermen. I think, you know, Lindholm, Kadri, Backlund, and, and, you know, whoever you want is your fourth. Um, I think that's, you know, in the short term, I think what we all get scared of is, giving Lindholm that eight year deal and, and what's it going to look like at the end. But that's the reality. All of these general managers have painted themselves. That's the reality of this league. The cap is going to go up um, slightly this year, but it is supposed to go up significantly here in the future. Um, You know, we're going to get a good insight into what Craig Conroy's mindset is in the next couple of weeks. We really are. Uh, I think he's going to be aggressive. I think he's going to be open for business. Um, he strikes me as someone who has no problem uh, playing out of the Brad True Living playbook, which is in on everything, know about all of it. 
you know, say what you will about Brad True Living, but as a general manager, and, and it's it's not me who says this, it's Bob McKenzie, it's Elliot Friedman, it's Chris Johnston, it's Frank Cerevelli, it's all the insiders will tell you the same thing. Nothing happens in this league without True Living trying to find a way to get into the middle of it. That's just the way he operates. And he's going to be that way for Toronto, you know it. Um, and I think Conroy is going to be that way. So worth noting that Elliot Friedman says low key Calgary could be busy. We will see. Um, and again, you know, comments today, reaching out to, to Lindholm. Lindholm was part of this process, finding the coach. He knows who the coach is. Um, we'll see. We will see. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it seems like, a lot on that, uh, just a lot on those couple of things. Uh, Ryan Pike coming up and Danny Austin coming up. Uh, both were at the press conference. We'll get those thoughts. But before we uh, we move on to that, I do want to go back to Nick Taylor. Um, I, I don't have to be the biggest golf fan to appreciate how big a story this is. Uh, and I, I'm excited uh, on a couple of levels. One, second straight year, major live golf news seemed to dominate this tournament that this is a, a, it's like everything else Canada does. Everybody loves it. It's great. It's, you know, it's, it's not a major, but it's the RBC open and everybody has a good time. They like, Oh, it's too bad. Live dominated last year. Oh, lives dominating again this year. But to have what happened, um, happen, we need moments like this. We need moments like we, we, we've, I think we had a few of these, uh, certainly with the women in gold in, in, in the Olympics winning soccer, I think uh, Alfonso Davies and a couple of the goals he scored in qualifying for the world cup. I think that was huge. Um, you know, you need these quintessential Canadian moments and, and Nick Taylor provided one. And, and I believe so did Adam Hadwin, did he not? Ad, Adam Hadwin kind of pr added to this. So um, I thought this was kind of, uh, so you see, and here comes the champagne. Hey, there's a good old boy Canadian Adam Hadwin. No, down goes Hadwin. Oh no. And you can see the caddy and Nick are looking. Hey, 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 hey. He's us. He's us. Down goes hat. That's a that's a meme, right, guys? Is that am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna <laughs> see that, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that one's gonna dominate social media. But I mentioned it before, uh, 20 years, uh, 2003, Mike, Weir at the masters. Um, and that was a great, I mean, I still remember every, you can say that to most sports fans that are of that age. Where were you when Mike green won the masters? I think you're going to be able to say, where were you when Nick Taylor, 72 foot Eagle putt fourth, fourth over playoff hole. I was going to say overtime hole, but playoff hole fourth. Like, that's ballsy. I mean, how many of us take the little yellow balls and we go to the little putting green, and, of course, we're putting around and, you know, do the two-foot, the four-foot, the six-foot, the four-foot, the four-foot, the four-foot, the six-foot, the eight-foot, and then just before we go, we go as far away from the hole as we can, and we just try it, and we just try it. And that's not 72 feet, and that's not in front of a gallery, and that's not on a fourth playoff hole, and that's not to win a tournament. But Nick Taylor did that. And to me, uh, I love it. I think it's a fantastic, fantastic um, moment for us. As Canadians, we need it. We love it. We have to have it. And he provided it. Um, yeah. 
I just, it made Mike Weir, not that Mike Weir was a nobody golfer. He was a legitimate golfer. Like he was a legitimate, you know, he was on the tour and could win. He was a threat, uh, but it's made his, you know, his life. It's just, you know, he never has to buy for, never has to pay for a meal and all those sort of things. And uh, here's the other side of me. You know, I can be happy and I can wave the flag and I can be, you know, all Canadiana. But I also know this business and this business, uh, that's a huge story. Why do you put your name on things? Why do you buy sponsorship? Because you get the media churn. You get the reference to the tournament by its name. You get the prestige of being invited out there. But if you're RBC today, you are getting a big bonus. You are now associated with a Canadian historic moment. So talk about, you know, talk about sponsorship and talk about naming rights and talk about all of those things today. And we should have got Adam C. Just follow Adam Seaborn on Twitter, our sports business analyst, because he'll have it first. But what this means to the brand and the just kind of the extra value they get out of having a Canadian win for the first time in 69 years. Unbelievable. So there is the business story to that. And I'm sure the TV ratings will reflect that. I'm, I'm sure, again, you know, he comes back as defending champion next year. Uh, that'll be a one-time thing, right? In the sense of he's won it. And now he comes back to defend it and we're not going to lose him. I mean, where's he going to go? The live tour? Well, okay. Or whatever that becomes. Um, but he's still going to be eligible to play in this tournament. So, um, yeah, I, I just, again, not my thing, not my sport, but huge story, huge story. And it's fun. It's, it's absolutely fun to watch. Uh, we are live in the Oodle Noodle studio. We bring the heat, butter, chicken, mac and cheese, Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai Classic, vegetarian and gluten-friendly options. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest. And if you're out there in Airdrie, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Day off again for the Stanley Cup final. Uh, it is an opportunity for Vegas to win on home ice. They win 3-2 in game four in Florida. The one thing that, that you say what you will about this, it's it's uh, gentleman sweep, I believe, Jack informed me. Gentleman sweep potential on Tuesday. Um, Florida's chased this whole thing. Yeah, they've had a lead here and there. They have chased. Vegas makes you chase them. And Vegas was up 3 nothing going into the third. Yep, gave up two goals. Yep, there was a opportunity for Kachuk magic late, but it never happened this time. Um, Paul, uh, you know, Paul Maurice saying all the right things in Florida on the way back there that, you know, holy cow, all the pressures on them. We can play loose. Um, I am, I am fascinated to know what Vegas winning at home is because this whole Vegas experience I was going to call it an experiment, but you cannot call success like this an experiment. It's an experience. The NFL team, you know, they have a WNBA team. They have soon a Major League Baseball team and probably an NBA team. But it's not that long ago. 
really it's not it's it's eight years six seven eight years maybe that people were you know kind of snidely making com- vegas who would go to vegas why would you go to Ve- vegas will never support big sports and it's been quite the opposite of that and and that is i don't have to redefine that argument for anybody we all know that but what does a championship in vegas look like they are going to win and then they're going to spill out into the strip and will we notice Strip's usually busy. I think it'll be insane. You think they'll notice, though? Oh, yeah. I think it'll be a huge party, for sure. Well, that, that's all they need, right? Yeah. They just need a catalyst for a party, <laughs> right? So this will give them the catalyst for the party. And then where do they go? Like, and then then where's the parade? Is the parade down Fremont? Is the parade Everywhere. down Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to say, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think it's going to be insane, but I think there'll be a whole bunch of people hanging on that have no idea what happened, but the party started. So we're yeah, part of so it, we're right? Part of, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, let's do this. Uh, let's bring in our first guest, of course, brought to you by our good friends at Ski Cellar Snowboard. Of course, it is not feeling at all like ski weather right now. And that's why in the summertime, they kind of shut things down in three of the locations. One location still open, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Always worth checking it out for great deals, but also to get inspired for next season because next season will be here sooner then you know, Ski Seller Snowboard, SkiSellerSnowboard.com. He is the managing editor of Flames Nation. He is Ryan Pike. He's always kind enough to be our uh, joining us on a Monday. As you can see, as he's uh, rapidly disrobing, he's moving from one place to the next. So I appreciate the effort put in today, sir. Um, I'm just going to say this. I watched the presser. I, I refer to it as crisp and professional. Crisp and professional. What did you make of Ryan Huska's debut as the head coach? It was, if, if you've known Ryan Huska at all, it's basically exactly what you would expect from him. You know, he's, he's always been very well spoken, very eloquent. You know, uh, he has, you know, if we're going to be completely honest here, he, he knows the assignment. He understands the situation he's walking into. And, you know, he's always been one of those guys that does his homework and sort of understands everything that's going on. And I mean, no, he. I think he sees the, his role as, you know, being the guy that can succeed where some others may have had challenges. And, you know, he, they have a group, especially, you know, Jonathan Huberdeau signed for a zillion years, Mackenzie Weger, and Awesome Kadri, potentially more guys if some of these conversations with the, the Magnificent Seven go one way or the other. And so, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be a group that's sort of a, a mixture of sort of big money veterans and sort of little guys who make significantly less. And he's shown in in his time with uh, the the Adirondack Flames, the Stockton Heat. Uh, he's shown the ability to get a lot out of young players and progress them. And you know, if if he's able to you know progress guys like you know Connor Zary, Matt Coronado. Jacob Pelche, potentially Dustin Wolf, if he can turn them from, you know, guys with promise into pretty good NHLers, the way he's been able to help guys like Mangiapane and Shillington and, and Anderson, you know, it's a really good fit. Give me your takeaways or notables from Conroy. Give me your takeaway and your notables from Husco. What did you hear from both guys? I I think. 
Conroy was very good at sort of explaining, sort of, you know, linking. This was sort of the sequel to the Craig Conroy GM press conference. And Craig was really good at sort of explaining, you know, the things that he thought were important in that press conference and linking the two and sort of explaining, you know, why Ryan's the right guy. I mean, the communications piece is really important. Uh, apparently, you know, some of the feedback uh, that, he's gotten from the players on, on Huska as an assistant coach was how damn detailed he is in terms of, you know, his, his video meetings are very targeted and guys come out of those meetings knowing exactly what the hell he's talking about. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we both experience this in our lives, you know, when you're dealing with smart people, it's the difficulty isn't being smart. It's easy to be smart. It's difficult to explain things in a way that everyone not just the super smart can understand. And hockey players, you know, they're some of these guys went to college. Some of them, didn't go to college, but most of them are just, they just know hockey. And if you can explain hockey to hockey guys in ways that they can digest and, you know, execute, you have credibility with them. And so I think that's sort of the way that Brian Husky has built up credibility with this, with this uh, group of players. And, you know, now it's just a question of can, you know, he was, he was responsible for the defensive group and the penalty kill. The penalty kill has quietly been one of the more effective penalty kills in the national hockey league in the last five years. They're, they're at six, they're, they're sixth overall in terms of their, uh, their prevention percentage. Uh, but can he can he get that kind of execution, that kind of attention to detail to the team's overall game? Because, you know, in a year last year where not a lot of things went well, the penalty kill was all faithful. It was all mm-hmm. reliable. And, you know, I think that, 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 that situation, having the one thing that worked in a season that didn't, probably got him the job. And from Craig? Well, for Craig, I think, you know, he was pretty good explaining the hows and whys. He was asked uh, by uh, by our friend Solomon Valji at TSN uh, about uh, Mitch Love's status. And, yeah. you know, he he mentioned, you know, they they had four. They, I believe they started with a group of 15. They went down to a group of four. Uh, our understanding, based on reports from folks like Frank Cervalli and Elliot Friedman, are the final four were, I believe, Todd Reardon of the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, Travis Green, who is uh, not currently coaching anywhere, but he was with uh, the Vancouver Canucks most recently, and then Ryan Huska and Mitch Love. And Huska was the internal candidate that they liked, and Huska or Love was an internal candidate they really liked. But you know, Craig Conroy put, put it best. I mean, the jump from the NHL to the AHL, or you know, from the AHL to the NHL yeah. is pretty steep. And you know, they they, they really like the guys they have, but they want to set up their people for success and throwing a guy from the American hockey league to the NHL was something that they didn't think would set him up for success. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I think that's sort of the, the next big interesting piece because, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan Huska has to build out a coaching staff, uh, the current coaching staff uh, that he inherits that have contracts for other 18 days are uh, Kirk Muller, uh, Kale McLean, and Jason LaBarbera. And then Mitch Love is under contract as the rest of the AHL staff for another year. Um, but, you know, what do you, you – you probably need someone in for, to replace Huska to run the PK. Uh, Kirk Muller probably – I would be shocked if Kirk Muller is still around after this because, yeah. you know, he's a, he's a veteran experienced coach. I believe he was spoken with, but – I don't believe he was part of the final four. And if, if you're in his position, you probably just want to go someplace. You feel like you can be a head coach in some point. So uh, I imagine they're probably going to be at the very least hiring a replacement for Huska on the bench and a replacement for Muller on the bench. And maybe one of those jobs is Mitch loves. Maybe one of the jobs is someone else's, but you know, it's, it's going to be interesting in the next few weeks to see what other names we hear bandied about. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I guess I was kind of expecting, 
oh, well, here's the staff. And and when Huska started talking about now it's his top priority, yeah, that makes sense. You you know, not unlike Craig Conroy, you kind of want to let your G or your coach, right? You want to let your GM hire your coach. Your coach should hire a staff. Yep. And, you know, I think, I think one of the challenges is, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential synergies. Uh, I, I know, uh, you know there, there's, I believe Dan Lambert, who used to be with Nashville, uh, mm-hmm. who coached with, uh, with Mitch Love and Kelowna. Dan Lambert is now out of contract. So potentially he could be a fit. Uh, the, the Flames, from what I'm told, really valued Don Knockbauer's work down with uh, the Wranglers. So yep. Don Knockbauer was with the Los Angeles Kings. He's basically coached everywhere. He's coached every level of pro, minor, junior, whatever. So there's a lot of just internal options that could work in terms of putting together staff. But, you know, I, I think they're going to be, you know, they have the time to go out and find the right people. And the nice thing is, you know, the draft is basically hockey summer camp where everyone involved with hockey is in one place. So if you're the flames and you want to put together a list now and you want to meet up with some people in Nashville that week and just, you know, meet up a lot of people, you know, look at the whites of their eyes and decide if you, if you want to offer them jobs or anything, I think uh, potentially a lot of business for a lot of teams is going to get done that week. Beyond that, the, and you might use the word business. Um, a couple of names came up. Um, I thought it was, important or notable um, that, that Conroy talked as much as he did to, to Jonathan Huberto. I thought that was an interesting comment. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's the 10 and a half million dollar man. So mm-hmm. in 18 days, his pay grade goes up dramatically and expectation will go dramatically. I mean, you know, last year, nothing went well for a lot of guys. And so I think the, uh, the lesson of that season is throw it all in the bin. Uh, forget about last season. You know, last season was just a year to be forgotten. Okay, good. You got one of those though. And he's about to enter an eight year contract that pays him a cabillion million dollars. I think it's $84 million. The single biggest money contract the flames have ever given out in terms of cap or in terms of dollar in terms of anything. Yep. Uh, and so, okay. Like even in terms of, you know, percentage of the cap, this is bigger than any, any deal Jerome McGinley ever had. So those are the expectations. The expectations are okay. You, you know, do what you need to do to get him ready. And I think doing what the, the coaching staff needs to do to have him at his best on when the puck drops on October 10th, because, you know, you, you're going to need him very quickly because, you know, I, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school uh, on Tuesday or uh, tomorrow, uh, a team in the division, the team that the flames uh, have only beaten in their home building once they're going to be trying to get a Stanley cup uh, yep. down, you know, over on the coast, Vancouver won't be as bad as they were last year. Seattle was sneaky good. And they have a lot of good young players. That farm team in Coachella Valley that beat the Wranglers is on the verge of winning the AHL championship, uh, which would weirdly enough be the second consecutive season. The Wranglers slash heat get knocked out by the eventual league champions, which is weird, but also kind of interesting. Um, but you're also going to have situations where, you know, Edmonton is Edmonton, uh, mm-hmm. you know, th- it, this is a division where outside of maybe Anaheim, everyone seems to be on the upswing. And so the big question is, okay, good. You had a mulligan, you, you know, but they also kind of wasted a year when there was no clear cut best team in the division. Yep. Uh, but Vegas got their poop together. They're going to be formidable. Edmonton, always dangerous as long as they have those two players up there. And also Ryan Newton Hopkins, who I, again, don't think we talked about enough. So, the Pacific Division is going to be a tough place to do business. And, you know, I think they need to figure out a way to get those 2-1 wins, those 3-2 wins. The, you know, how do you beat Dallas on a sleepy, snowy Wednesday in January? Because, you know, as we all learn, mm-hmm. when you lose, when you have to play off by three points, when you're 
you know, you're six goals away from being a league average power play when you're significantly below league average in goaltending. If you fix any of those things, yep. if you win one or two one goal games, one or two overtime games, you can score on one or two more power plays, you know, you're, you're right there. And that must be the most frustrating thing in the world for the team. And I think the challenge for them will be, you know, especially from Huberto right on down, how do you take that frustration and channel it in healthy ways? Because, you know, you want to throw it, you want to throw the season in the bin fine, but you also got to figure out, you know, what are the two or three things you want to take away from it? Because you know, there are some things that were definitely worth learning from. The other name that that came up and, and was a prominent name in this conversation today was Elias Lindholm, um, who was in on the conversation and Huska talked to today and Conroy talked to today. Is this negotiation in danger of, not spiraling out of control, but maybe getting a little bit bigger than, than it should be. Like, you know, if they don't get him, is it the end of the world? I think if they don't get him, you got to move him. And I think that's the big thing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I think that goes up. Yeah. That goes without saying, right. But that, that you know, he's, he's your best center. He's your, I would say like the flames most consistent player last year is probably a pre car accident, Rasmus Anderson. But in terms of the overall group, I mean, the most capital I important player on the team is Elias Lindholm because, you know, he's first over the boards in every game situation. And, you know, the, the Flames, for better or for worse, are the team defined by how good their Swedes are. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, your first line center, your mo your best two-way guy, your best defenseman, and your goaltender. Those are the Fab Four. They're, they're going to need to be locked in, engaged, and, you know, on the same page from the get-go. Yep. And if they're not, if anyone's sort of thinking, you know, oh, maybe this, maybe that, you kind of need to know now so that you can make those decisions because, you know, the, the expectation right now is talking to folks around hockey, maybe the cap goes up more than 83.5. But probably not at this point. The expectation that every GM is working with that uh, that I've been been privy to is they're they're very pessimistic. They're they're acting under the auspices that it's going to be a one million dollar cap increase. Yeah. So uh, most teams are already over the cap or right at it or have you know they can't put together a team. So the off season, especially draft week, this is the time where if if you have guys that you need to move, this is the best time to get value because teams. You know, teams haven't spent their cap capital yet. They haven't spent mm -hmm. their draft capital yet. And, you know, they, they haven't really committed fully to their, their own UFAs or their RFAs. So this is the best time to engage everyone with their flexibility because if you wait until January, you wait till mid-January, no one really – or mid-July, January, July. Yeah, I know, but I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, if you wait until, until the calendar flips over, all of a sudden the math completely changes and everyone gets very nervous about really doing anything. Before I leave the coach, and I do want to move on to players, anything, I mean, this this is two very significant positions that have been publicly open and, and lots, you know better than anybody. I'm not lecturing the, the managing editor of, of Flames Nation about how much has been written about possible, you know, new coaches and general managers and all the possibilities. The head coach is, is Ryan Huska. The general manager is Craig Conroy, both internal candidates. Are you surprised? Are you shocked? In some, are you disappointed? Are you would do you have a geez? I wish they would have tried because two months ago it was a blank slate, right? Yeah. I mean, this very much feels like you know we we hear about this a lot. Like you know, how many times have we heard you know when we we've heard this from multiple GMs during slumps? The answers have to come from inside the room. Yeah, and this feels like two. The answers have to come from inside the room hirings uh craig conroy 
been there, done that. He's been around and he's, you know, he know. I don't think from a management standpoint, you would get someone externally who would know or have a strong. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Opinions on what ails the Calgary Flames and Craig Conroy. I think probably the same goes for mm-hmm. Brian Huska in terms of what didn't work. Like, you know, he's he's talked to a lot of the players already. He's, you know, talked to them throughout the season and apparently he had a he had a very detailed powerpoint for Craig Conroy during their their interviews yeah. uh just what went wrong why why what went wrong what do you need to tweak and evidently that you know they're at least on the defensive side of the game there don't seem to be a lot of tweaks but just in terms of you know encouraging the offensive creativity you know having a guy that you know has coached uh, some very offensively creative players with the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, he coached Dylan Dubé for, for a year in, uh, in the AHL. Well, six games in the AHL, but has been around him basically his entire pro career. A guy who played with Jerome McGinley and junior. I mean, this is somebody who's sort of been around. And so I think, you know, in terms of the closest thing to getting outside eyes with an inside perspective on this group, I think would be Ryan Huska. And, you know, now, now the challenge is great. You've got the job now. Now I think the expectations mm-hmm. will be, okay, what can you do with it? Because, you know, dating back, I wrote a piece for the site on this dating back to Don Hay in 2000, the flames have basically been a group that rolls over their coaches every year or two. Yeah. Uh, the exception being, uh, you know, I believe that they kept uh, Bob Hartley for a little bit longer. Bob, the builder got a little bit longer leash, but also because, you know, they changed over GMs and then he won the Jack Adams the first year. So you can't fire right after the Jack Adams. So it, it, you know, it sort of spiraled there, but outside of Bob, the builder in the last 23 seasons, 22 seasons, they, I think they've had like something like 13 or 14 human beings coach the team that can't continue. Nope. Because if you're trying to build a program, we, we've heard about this in terms of the development program that the Flames are trying to build. If you want to have a, a program that works, if you want people to look at the Calgary Flames as anything but dysfunctional, if you want to see them to see the Calgary Flames the way teams see Tampa Bay or Colorado, the first thing you have to do is have continuity. 
and you have to sort of know what to expect. So, you know, the, the flames are betting that Huska is the guy that can do that. But, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, you know, those same people who are going, okay, let's, let's give him a chance. will also be sharpening the knives and going, well, geez, I mean, you could have had Todd Reardon, you could have had Travis green, you could have had any number of, for lack of a better term, the same old, same old, like the the same 32 guys we keep hearing. So they, they went bold. They went in a new direction. They got a first time head coach. Historically, that hasn't really worked out well for the Calgary Flames. But I mean, historically, I mean, the last time a, a first time head coach worked out for the Calgary Flames was in, uh, in 82 when they brought in Bob Johnson. It turned out really well for the Flames. They out, Until Bob Johnson left the Flames in 87 to go join USA Hockey. I mean, they were a team that you were basically terrified of going into yeah. and Alberta was called death Valley because you know, if you're coming here on a road trip, you had to deal with Calgary and Edmonton usually on consecutive nights. And it was not a fun 48 hours to be at the office and, you know, all due respect to the teams involved at times over the last, you know, basically since the nineties, I don't think we've really had that level of, of uh, apprehension amongst, you know, opponents of both Alberta teams, maybe last year, maybe, but consistently, I don't think both teams have been very good. The, nope. the team up north, for better or for worse, based on you know a couple of players that are very good, but also some decent coaching, they've become pretty formidable. And you know now that the 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 gauntlet's been thrown down to these guys to sort of catch up or at least figure out a way to sort of establish a brand and establish a culture, and then you know see if people want to buy into it. Let's let's shift gears. Um... And, and you know this as well as anybody, when El- it's the old E.F. Hutton line, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. When Elliot Friedman speaks, everybody listens. And he had uh, Flames fans' attention on the weekend. I think context is important here, <laughs> um, Ryan, because, you know, Hannafin's name has come up. But but Elliot was quick to point out it, it wasn't shopping as much as, as teams calling because of what's yeah. happening in the in the defense market. What do you make of that? I mean, the the two biggest names the Flames could like. I'll say this: I fully expect the Flames to move Dan Vildar uh, during the off season, yes. maybe as soon as the draft, because you know it's there's a lot of teams out there looking for goaltending and a two point two million dollar cap hit for a guy who's maybe a, a good two or maybe a one B. There's value there. And I think, you know, the Flames will be able to recoup their investment. They gave up a third round pick for him. I think they can easily recoup that. They'll get more than than a third for him. Uh, But in terms of everything else, I mean, the easiest pieces to move in terms of getting value are Lindholm and are Hannafin. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, we've seen all the, all the, you know, the dominoes start to topple. Gafferkov get re-signed by LA. Uh, Ivan Provorov goes to Phil, goes to uh, Columbus. So does uh, Cam Severson. Damon Severson. I almost Damon, said Cam Severson. I know. Damon Severson. Uh, so, I mean, there's not a lot of high-end defensemen out there, especially high-end defensemen. Like, you, can you, you think you're going to get somebody Noah Hannafin good in the UFA market for how much the Flames are paying Noah Hannafin? Not a damn chance. Nope. So, if you're the Flames... You, if you don't want, if it com- turns out that Noah Hannafin maybe is thinking of doing something else on July first, twenty twenty four, rather than sign with, resign with the Calgary Flames, he might be the best guy to to get something really significant for. And you could potentially swing a good hockey trade. Uh, you know, you can, get, or you can get some draft capital or a mixture of both. And I think there's some good opportunity there. Uh, but I also think you know. I think their preference is to keep him, uh, yeah. you know, throwing yeah. Oliver Shillington back into the top four after a year away from the game. Uh, I think he can, I think he can handle it. I think he's an exceptionally good player, especially with his skating, but that's a lot. That's a, you know, he went going from, you know, the, the gym to the ice 
especially in a top four role, that's a lot. So, to, you know, we, we heard Craig Conroy talk about setting Mitch Love up for success at the NHL level. I think the same probably goes for someone like Oliver Shillington. And to set up Oliver Shillington for success, having some insulation in mm-hmm. the form of Noah Hannafin would be very beneficial. But, you know, if you if you move Hannafin at Christmas, you're not getting nearly as much as you are if you trade him in the offseason and, and teams have a full season with him. So, you know, there's, there's going to be a balancing act going on. And, you know, there's I, I don't envy Craig Conroy's uh, job over the next few weeks because there's a lot of things in motion and a lot of things that can sort of turn in different directions depending on what people's decisions are like. Yeah, and I know in that same comment, you know, Friedman said that he thought – you know, Calgary could be a low key version of what it looks like Winnipeg's going to be, which is a mover and a shaker and have some pieces to move. That one just caught me off guard because if not Hannafin, then who? And I think you kind of answered that. It's it's not like there's three or four defensemen busting down the doors for the American Hockey League to come up here, right? And I think that's the big challenge because, like, we talked about, you know, okay, in goal, yeah, there's Dustin Wolf, yep. and then I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, if you if you move Vladar, you're going to be able to bring in some a- good AHL goaltenders. There's plenty of good AHL goaltenders out there who can who can who are looking for work and would like to 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 jump in and help out the Wranglers. Uh, forwards, you know, outside of Cole Schwint, who kind of had a disappointing year but a pretty good playoffs. You know, you have probably a half dozen guys. I mean, Connor Zary's knocking on the door. Uh, you know, Doerr's going to graduate because he doesn't need he, he'll need waivers next year, so he's going to be an NHLer next season, barring anything unforeseen. You know, Coronado will be pushing, Pelche is pushing. Like you have about you know even even Ben Jones. I mean, Ben Jones is a pending mm-hmm. RFA. Uh, if if I'm the Flames, I do what I can to keep Ben Jones because he was really really good for the Wranglers last year. Potentially, I mean, maybe he's your fourth slash fifth center next year. Yeah, and so. You have that kind of depth at that position, but you know, on defense, I mean, you know, Oliver Shillington is a good map for how the Flames can bring along Jeremy Poirier. Uh, Jeremy Poirier, I think, is a higher end offensive player, but his defensive game and his skating aren't nearly as good as what Shillington's are now. And so you probably need a bit more time with, you know, Solovyov and Kuznetsov and Jeremy Poirier before they're ready. So that means, you know, if if you're eating away your depth a bit, you need to bring in some guys to insulate them. They have yep. Dennis Gilbert. Uh, I believe Nick D. Simone is under contract for next year as well. Those help, but you're also going to lose some guys. And so they're going to need to bring in some guys. And potentially like, if you're doing like, say if you're doing a, a trade and you're trading a Noah Hannafin, for example, maybe, you know, you're trading for uh, for a defensive prospect, mm-hmm. or maybe you're trading for a piece that you can use to flip for a defensive prospect. So, yep. You know, there's there's a lot of moving pieces with this, and I I think it all sort of will hinge on do Hannafin and Lindholm want to be here long term? If yes, great. What do those contracts look like? And then based on what those contracts look like, can you afford to pay Michael Backlund what you want to pay Michael Backlund for the next few years? Because you know, I'm sure they're you know the Flames they're as you know they they both are deeply sentimental about the player, but they're also very clear eyed about where they are and you know they they love that player he's meant a lot to the club and the community and i'm sure in an ideal world they you know they do what they could to have him have a parade here he'd be captain they do this that and the other thing it'd be great but you know sometimes we don't live in fairy tales sometimes (laughs) we live in the cold yes sometimes yes especially these days more than not i mean you know if you bless their hearts if you look at the teams florida tampa vegas colorado these are teams that have been almost at times to a fault, very clear eyed about what mm-hmm. they are and what they need. And they've been very judicious at 
keeping and dismantling key pieces as it suits them. And it's yep. worked out well for them. They've, you know, all, you know, all those te- three out of four teams will end up having parades, but yep. you also, you know, you, you need to keep filling your organization with good people and, and pieces that can do a lot for you. So yeah, it's, I, I don't think we're going to have a shortage of things to speak about in the next uh, couple of months, at least. Uh, speaking of parades, we are on the cusp of one. Um, game. Oh, they're five. gonna they're gonna they're gonna go down Las Vegas Boulevard. They'll they'll do it. Uh, the, yeah, I I. They're gonna be... do what the Aces did. They're gonna shut down Las Vegas Boulevard, uh, barring uh, yeah. them blowing a three one lead. And you know, I think it's gonna be it's that's gonna be wild. I think it's you know, having when I was in Vegas a couple weeks ago, I went down to T Mobile and just sort of hung around before I think it was game five. Five, yeah, it was game five of uh, of the Dallas series. Right, they have done. They've developed such a cool like fan culture down there, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's exciting. I mean, but, but you I, remember like eight years ago, what a joke it seemed to people that this was ever going to happen, right? Like it's oh, one yeah. of like, it's one of the great proving wrong stories of all time. It's a perfect storm though, because like you have, yeah. you know, they they had. I'll say this, like I spending, you know, been visiting Vegas since my early twenties. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a market that you know there was, it was it's a market that for years people thought, oh, nobody lives in Vegas, and there was a ton of people who lived in Vegas for a lot of different reasons, not just people working casinos, a lot of different yep. industries, and they felt like they were sort of like the you know they they didn't want to borrow another leagues or another markets team. They wanted their own thing. And so, you know, the Raiders have worked out pretty well and, you know, we'll see how the A's turn out if they ever end up getting a damn stadium done. Uh, That's a whole other conversation. But I mean, you know, when you put in the, you put in that team, it has strong local ownership. You have, you know, MGM and AEG decide, screw it. We'll build our own building and they build it in the perfect spot. And then they, they do a good job building the building and they do a good job building out the area around the building. And then they do a good job, you know, really, you know, they were really smart about how they ran the expansion draft. And then, you know, unfortunately they had that, that horrible tragedy, the, the shooting, like I think a couple of weeks before the season started, but I think, you know, it was a lot of things coalesced to make the Vegas Golden Knights feel like Vegas's team rather than, Oh, the NHL just put a team there. It became sort of a thing that they felt was theirs and they felt ownership over. And I'll say this, I think the, you know, from Derek England all the way down, all the guys who were on that original team really embraced their role in sort of helping that community heal. You mm-hmm. know, we heard, heard stories about them stopping by hospitals with food and, and, you know, drinks and water, whatever, basically, you know, anyone where, you know, you'd have people wearing the golden Knights logo, just show up anywhere. People, you know, were, were yep. sort of having a bad time and saying, how can we help? And I think that did a lot to endear them to that community, but then they were really good. And the, because of that relationship that they forged early on amongst those terrible circumstances, you know, there, there was a lot of mutual admiration going on and, you know, no one could have expected them to go to the Stanley Cup final in their first year, but I think it set a really high standard for that team. And I think it also helped a lot of people who may not have become diehard Golden Knights fans become diehard Golden Knights fans. And once you have that base, once you have that fervent group of fans, and when you're just hanging outside the building, it looks like a blast. Yeah. And I think that's an easy way to get people who might not be, you know, hockey fans in those kind of markets to say, Okay, I'll try this out. I mean, I think Nashville's done a great job with that too, in terms of really you know, and I and I think that's the big challenge. And Seattle's done a really good job of that this year. But it's so challenging, I think, 
you know, figuring out it's a, like I said, perfect storm. Like a lot of things went right yes. for that group in that one season. And one thing, unfortunately went horribly wrong for, for people that are in that market, but you know, yeah. it, it, it turned out really, really well. And now I think, you know, that's one of the league's stronger markets. One of the places that I think people are really excited to see games or just to go visit because of it. Well, and, and you know, not surprising coming from me, but they leaned into themselves. Like Nashville leaned into what Nash. I went to Nashville when it was 9,000 fans a game, but they were chanting and they wanted to be there and they grew it out. And Vegas has been, you know, the entertain. It, it is gl- uh, glitzy. It's glamorous. It is entertainment. It's Vegas. And they have leaned into it. They didn't try to turn it into a cathedral. They didn't try to turn the sport into a religion. They leaned into what it is. It's entertainment. And to your point, they have brought in, it is for everybody, right? It's not for hockey fans. It's for everybody. And how can you lose? Yeah. Like if, if you're just, a, if you're just a tourist out there before the World Knights game, you just go hang out in Toshiba Plaza and they yeah. like, at least for the playoffs, they had, you know, they had DJs, they had like a big show, like they had, they yep. had a lot of stuff going on. And so like, you know, then the party goes inside and, you know, I imagine there's probably a lot of people who didn't have tickets who had FOMO after, after the party goes inside and it makes it, you know, when you make it seem like a fun atmosphere all the time, you know, and they have the, you know, they have the benefit of they're not a, you know, a winter city, so they can do that sure. for forty-one home games a- in the absolutely. playoffs. Yeah, but I, th- I think a lot of teams. I think the thing that, that's that's really making me curious about what happens in this market is okay. Like I think the Flames looked at a lot of things that other markets are doing, and I think you know having those plazas, having sort of public areas where you can sort of make it more of a, mm-hmm. a Calgary thing mm-hmm. than just a. You know, you're in this secret club. And these these, these nineteen thousand people, they're the ones who are able to enjoy yeah. this. If you if you figure out a way to sort of make the party spill out to the outside, yeah. the way Vegas does, the way Nashville's doing, you know, Dallas has done it from time to time. I mean, if you're gonna figure out a way to make the party just spill out into as many nooks and crannies of that area as possible, the way Vegas has, I I think you can make that that area really jump. But you know, we'll see. Um, what's, what's going on at flames nation these days? Anything? Is it quiet? What is it? Nothing to talk about draft stuff, Huska stuff. Uh, we're going to start looking into, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of movement, player movement, coach movement, scout movement. Uh, yeah, there's a, and you know, we're going to have a lot of different things. My plan is to be in Nashville for the drafts. So I'll be at the GM meeting. I'll be at the draft. I'll be, uh, I'm not going to the awards, so I'll be, I believe, on a bus tour that my wife booked for us uh, during the draft or during the the awards. But in the event that Michael Backlund wings at King Clancy, I'll write, I'll have something pre-written or I'll write it on my phone. Uh, I apologize in advance for any typos, but okay. Sorry, Mike. Sorry, Michael. We booked it before you were nominated. It's nothing personal. We well, I'm sure he won't take it that way. I uh, appreciate you uh, being so generous with your time today. I know it was a, a busy day. Uh, and look forward to catching all the uh, information coming up on Flames Nation. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, take care, man. Here you go, Ryan Pike, managing editor of Flames Nation. We continue along that same vein as we go back and uh, bring in our next guest, courtesy of the Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary, skisellersnowboard.com. He is technically supposed to be hosting the show today, so I'm guest hosting for him, who was supposed to be guest hosting for me. It's very convoluted, but stay with us. It'll all make sense in the end. Uh, Danny Austin from Post Media, also the host from Live from the 55, is joining us now after Ryan Huska's press conference. Are you good? Have you gotten everything done? Are we catching you mid-typing? How? What's going on? 
I have gotten my story in for the early deadline. Okay. Um, I will say that my editor has called me four times in the last probably three minutes, so I'm hoping nothing's wrong. I've I've texted him. Um, but other than that, we're going to get back to work after this. But um, I don't know. Uh-huh. I wanted to join you. I, uh, it has been a fun, busy day. <laughs> To say the least, um, let's let's deal. We just had Ryan on. I'll ask you the exact same question I started there. Your uh, interpretation of the uh, Ryan Huska press conference, I refer to it as crisp and professional. What did you take away? I missed most of your question because my editor is trying to call and not checking his text, telling me to tell him not to. Um, would you like to? Would you like to take a break, figure that out, and come back? Because I'm good that way. We we no. got we got the technology. I have put us on do not disturb, so I'm hoping okay. that, that works. And right. um, he can check his text. All right, uh, all right. I just don't so, want to get you in any trouble. Okay. I don't know. Um, okay. He now wrote back, "Yup, all good." So if okay. You want, this is no. so. Yeah, he was just he just really wanted to talk to me. He likes um, you, yeah, and, which you is know, a good and, position and I, to be in. And I love him. So there is. There you uh, go. It works yeah, out no for everybody. No one's doing anything wrong here. But, okay. Um, Yes. Well, I, I think you were asking me what sort of my takeaways from the press conference were. Yeah. Um, I have covered this team in 2019, 2021, last year. Um, the vibe is just completely different this spring. Um, I think all of those, all of those sort of conversations that we've had with Craig Conroy, with Don Maloney about this organization needing a fresh start, needing a different attitude, needing a new culture. Um, I don't know how that translates to wins and losses on the ice. Like genuinely, I'm not trying to make that, but I will say in terms of like the vibes in terms of what I want from a working environment, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a, I, I think it's a little more modern. I know that there were people who had it, who sort of said, Oh, these players, you know, they, they can't take a tough coach. That's, that's not really what this ever was about. I don't think. Um, and I just think Ryan Huska and Craig Con- Conroy both, I think sort of recognize that like kindness can coexist with, hard work um, and treating people respectfully. And, and um, you know, one of the lines that stuck out, which I liked hearing, it was Ryan Husker said, people keep talking about having fun. He's like, we're not talking about going to an amusement park. Yeah, I heard that. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're talking about going in and enjoying the process of doing the work. And the work is what matters, but you don't have to hate that process. Um, and, and, and that stands out to me because, like, I don't hate my job. You know, the fact that I don't suffer every day when I wake up and go to work doesn't mean that I'm not doing good hard work, right? So, right. Um, yeah, so I, I really liked a lot of what I heard. And I do think that ultimately, um, you know, this doesn't matter. Media doesn't matter. But, like, it, you could feel the negativity over mm-hmm. the last, over the last, particularly the last season. You could yep. feel that people were not enjoying themselves and didn't want to necessarily, I'm not saying the players didn't want to be there. I'm not saying anyone should feel sorry for them, but it was not a, a nice place to go to work for me a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course it's seeing what I just described in terms of sort of that kindness coexisting, coexisting with, you know, good, honest work. I, I find really refreshing. Anything that in particular about Ryan Huska that, that, you know, stood out for you that, that you glommed onto from this, from this interaction? Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, to be honest, I, mean, I think with Craig Conroy as well, I think we've seen, and it may not last, but in their introductory press conferences, there's been a, an honesty um, there about sort of the challenge ahead. Um, I think Ryan Huska, like, spoke about the need, the need to ultimately cut down on his number one priority from a team perspective is the fact that they just gave up too many good opportunities. And that's something, you know, we focused so much on 
the Flames out shooting everybody, but not being, but getting outscored despite all that. And you never really heard it acknowledged that a lot of the opportunities that were coming from the other team um, were, were grade A opportunities. And just hearing him three months before the start of you know training camp, even just openly acknowledging that, um, I think is important. I think it's refreshing, and I think that it it should be really encouraging. Um, but I, I will say that, I mean, honestly, with Ryan Huskin, I think that this goes back to any of us who have dealt with him as an assistant coach. Like, forget just today. There's a decency to the to the human. Um, he is he he genuinely comes across as being an empathetic person who um, cares about the people around him. And this isn't just to dump on Daryl, dump on Daryl. Um, but I, I think people like Ryan Huskin because he's a likable person to put it really plainly and yeah. and that's that's how i feel about it and i i don't know that like that that people will laugh and roll their eyes but i do think that matters on some level mm-hmm. i do yeah it matters to me and sort of that that's really what stands out i i think he's someone who the who flame fans are going to really like having sort of at the helm and being the spokesperson for their organization Two things that jump out at me, having covered a number of these Flames coaching press conference conferences. Uh, one, that we didn't get into the jingoistic, oh, it's so incredible to coach in a Canadian market stuff, because I don't buy that, which I thought was nice. It was refreshing. And two, names were named. Yes, they talked a lot to Jonathan Huberto. Yes, he <laughs> yeah. has called, you know, he has called Elias Lindholm. I, I thought that was, to your point, the honesty, it was refreshing. Yeah, I think that the Huberto thing is notable, like particularly. Me notable. too. The, I mean, the Lindholm thing, he, you know, you can lie about that if you want, but like, let's all be honest. We all know Lindholm is the first ball to drop for the entire, you know, roster construction, not just this year, but going forward. Uh, if he tells them he's not staying, he's the one that they'd probably have to move sooner rather than later. And yep. it, it sets the direction of your team because he's the player who you might actually get both draft assets and maybe a young player or two in, or you might be able to, you know, if they decide to go the Kachuk route and, and try to actually get some players who they think can, can help them win now. Um, so the Lindholm thing, like, of course they talked to Lindholm. Um, but admitting that Huberto was, was probably the number one person that they talked to as they went through this process. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things that you just, you look at the money and it's obvious Like Jonathan Huberto is the most important player on the Calgary Flames. He's uh, he's here for eight more years at a huge number. Um, of course, he gets a say in this. And I sometimes think that that's something that's, it's very interesting if you just watch the, the different cultures of each of the sort of major sports here in mm-hmm. North America. Like it's completely understood. That of course, in basketball, the star yep. player is going to get a say in, in head coaching. Um, in football, you're not, you're, you don't think that you're star quarterback is going to say, of course he does. But in hockey, we don't always sort of, I, I don't think that we admit that it's all supposed to be like team first, team first, team first, even if that's not the reality. So yes, of course, Jonathan Huberto, who, whose, whose effectiveness is directly tied to whether this is a playoff team, whether this is a team that can contend, he is supposed to be the superstar. He is supposed to be the player carrying them. You need him to get to at least 90 points pretty quickly here. Of course he should have a say. And of course he should be able to articulate what might bring out the best in him and might make it might make it easier for him to do his job best. Um, so I have absolutely no issue with it. And I think that it's something that a certain type of old school hockey fan or old school media member might scoff at a little bit. And that's okay. I mean, we're it's sports. It's supposed to be fun. That's what we're yep. supposed to debate. We're supposed to debate, but um, good. It's good to hear them admit that 
they are catering a little bit to the guy who they're paying $10 million a year to. From Conroy's standpoint, two things that that stood out for me, the the first being, you know, in these introductory press conferences, very rarely are there any references to the previous administration, right? Like it's a brand new day. We move on. But I thought it was talking about Huberto. I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, that Jonathan said, I just want to play. And, and Conroy said, yeah, you've got to play. I thought that was the closest we got to a, a direct connection to the previous coach and, and why they made the changes. The stars have to play. Entirely. I know. I do think in Conroy's introductory press conference, uh, what, a month back now, he quietly took some shots. At, at no, I meant in the coach. Yeah. I meant coaching yeah. ones. Today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he, I, I felt that he was quite clear that he felt that there would need to be changes, but um, totally. And it's, I mean, that one is hard for me because there's a bit of chicken and egg when it comes to Hubert out last yep. year. Um, like, why wasn't he out there in the final couple of minutes? Well, it's because he was largely ineffective. Why was he ineffective? It was like, was it the system? Was it something mm-hmm. else? I, I, I don't know. And like for Daryl Sutter, who likely felt that he was coaching for his job he's going to put the players he thinks are most effective out there um and i do think that that's actually an advantage of having a coach who you know ryan Huskey's not getting fired this year he's, he's no. going to have time he's going to have time to build something yeah. so there can be some time to have jonathan he out there regaining his confidence playing those important minutes where the coach doesn't feel that pressure um and like i asked directly to ryan Huska, do do is this a playoff team and I don't think he necessarily gave me the direct answer. I don't he did know. not. He did not. Like I, 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 which is telling. And I feel like we've heard this team underperformed, this team underperformed, but they have these seven UFAs, so they know that they may just they may get younger this year, and that may not be the goal. At which point, the goal is putting players like Jonathan Hiberto or maybe some of the young players in situations where they might not always be effective, but you're going to give them that opportunity to play into their best game. And I think that could be important for the development um, of the young players, but also of Jonathan Hebrew's confidence. The other point that I, I picked up from Conroy and, and it's one because I wholeheartedly believe it. they got to get off this roller coaster of, you know, two year coachings and get a new coach. And, it's brutal. Right. There it's needs brutal. to be some continuity. Yeah. It's, I mean, we were looking at Ryan Huska, what joined as an assistant coach in 2018. He's, now served under three head coaches. Yeah. Um, so you say the two-year thing, like the two-year thing is actually not even, yeah. if you really add it up, I mean, since Bob Hartley, who um, may have hung on a little bit longer, it's been it's been ridiculous. And it's something that like, I don't, I mean, good on you for bringing it up. I, I, I to be honest, think that it, it was asked about. And it's hard to ask about because all you can say, what what's anyone going to say? Other than, well, we hope Husky sure. for a long, long time. But like, it has been an issue. That yep. lack of continuity, that lack of vision, that lack of building something year over year over year. And then maybe you have to make a head coaching change, but that coach is coming in and trying to elevate what you've already built. When every 18 months to two years, you're just kind of scrapping the plane and starting from scratch. Um, that doesn't like, that's not a recipe for success. No. And um, yeah, I mean, I know, you know, I'm from Toronto. I hear people moaning about Sheldon Keefe all the time. And so I do think that there's probably, you know, an opposite where sometimes you do need a new voice, but, but in this scenario, it is absolutely vital for the Flames. Well, they... I just, yeah, I just shocked that, that the, you know, all time coaching leader for this team is 410 games or whatever it is. It's right. Wild, it, isn't it? It is. I mean, and only Florida is worse. And then you look at a team like Dallas yeah. and I think they have five or six guys who've coached more than 400 games. 
You know, you know it's just That's... you have to have that continuity. You have to find a way to get that continuity. Yeah, and now I do think part of it is also, I mean, setting expectations. And I think that there have been the Flames yep. have constantly decided that make the playoffs and see what happens is the strategy. I mean, we hear in every sport the worst place to be is in the, in the middle, and this team has relatively perpetually been in the middle. Yep. Um, and the easiest thing for a general manager to do is blame the coach, right? I mean, that's how you save your job is you put mm-hmm. it on the coach. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would hope now that, you know, we're in an era where maybe it's a little bit more realistic. Um, maybe, oh, hey, we have to trade Elias Lindholm. We're getting younger. It's not just about making the playoffs. And, and, and again, and you start building. But, I mean, I, I think that the history of this team, and this predates me arriving in Calgary, was always like, just get to the playoffs and see what happens. And yep. I just, I, I think that you can do that once you're in the place to do it. But this team has often just kind of run it back year over year and put, put it on the shoulders of the guy behind the, the bench. And it's not always the right move. And and speaking of, of things that I got used to and then actually makes sense today, I'm so used to a staffs being announced, the coaches. And here's the staff, right? Yeah. And in a lot of those cases, those staffs weren't necessarily hired by the coach, but it sure sounds like the coach is going to have a role in hiring his staff this time. I mean, Craig Conroy said in his introductory press conference, he's like, this is going to be more collaborative. This mm-hmm. is not um, – and I, I believe him. I, I honestly think that he's leaning on Maloney. He's going to lean on his head coach. I, I don't think Craig Conroy is a guy who – needs every decision to be made by himself um and i you know that's a different type of leadership but it's a type of leadership i like i'll tell you yep. that um yep. and I, so i do think i think that's important that, that ryan huska has the people who who he feels confident in um and we're gonna see i mean the the mitch love thing is just sort of sitting out there does he want to be take an assistant job um, i mean the fact that he got down to the final four tells us he definitely thinks he's ready to be mm-hmm. a head coach in the nhl so he may want to test the waters or he may want to decide that actually a year or two as an assistant is what's going to fast track him there. So, but yeah, it's, it, it tells you, I think it tells you a lot about the type of, of, of team Craig Conroy wants to run that he doesn't feel like he needs that um, to, to be the one making that decision. Yeah. Um, I, I think it tells you that he is sincere in wanting this and wanted to have in recognizing that the more smart people you have, in the room, helping you make decisions, the better off you are. And now they get into the meat of it. Now they get into the, you know, the meetings and the, the, the draft and free agency, um, you know, the, the GM and the coach are in place. Um, I, I just wonder where we are when, you know, development camp comes in July, right? Like mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's not that far around the corner. There's a lot of work to be done here. The seven UFAs thing. I mean, we, we've all sort of, hammer hammer on it so much but i mean they're just in a, like they can't go into the in, in, into the new season with all seven of those guys on the roster it would be it would be asinine yep. to do that um and the reality is it involves trading some of them i, I mean you're they can say oh well we'd love to get all seven re-signed i don't think it's going to be possible no. um and then you begin to look i mean that's why Guys like Conroy, like Maloney, like Husky, they have to be realistic about where their team is at right now. Mm-hmm. And you have to and you have to make a decision because you know, I, I think a lot of us like Mackenzie Weger and a lot of Jonathan Huberto, if the Flames, you know, had would they not have been better off getting young assets um when they traded Matthew Kachak, getting draft picks? Capital, I, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean I I'd suggest that hindsight is twenty twenty, and I certainly wasn't saying that a year ago, but 
they miss the playoffs. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With with guys who are in their late twenties, early thirties. I mean, it's it, this is not this team's not getting any younger. So this may be the opportunity to just trade those guys and get younger and get you know some some cap space. Um, so I I think it's honestly fascinating because we've had like how many more times are we going to be at the Saturday for press conferences in the next like month and a half? Because um, there are there's there are big moves coming and no. and you know we can disagree on what those moves are, but they are coming. Whether it's Noah Hannafin on his way out the door, whether it's Chris Tana, whether it's Elias Lindholm, whether it's Tyler Toffoli, like those are big names, and sitting on them and getting nothing for them would be a disaster. Um, gonna shift, uh, take advantage of having you here. And I know we can't, we don't want to keep you too long, but, um, do it. Yeah, do. Oh, I know. And the beauty <laughs> of you is I know I can throw absolutely anything at you. Um, Nick Taylor, 72 feet, uh, fourth, fourth, you know, playoff hole Eagle wins the first Canadian to win the RBC Canadian open in 69 years. Quintessential Canadian moment. Is it not? Yeah, absolutely. It's right up there. Um, yeah. no, I think that. In general, I, I don't always think we do a great job of promoting our Canadian um, events. And I, I hope that this is a, a perfect example of, you know, we just have had half the country watching. It's our national open. It's, it's a huge, huge yep. deal. Um, I can say certainly on Twitter, uh, people lost their minds over it. I will say also that, I mean, most of the people I follow on Twitter are sports reporters who love golf. So, like, of course <laughs> they did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's always, to be honest, it's one of those things where, like, I thought it was very special, and I, I mean to take nothing away from the moment, but it's mm. always been one of those things where, like, I, I I follow UK sport a little bit, and when, you know, a British guy hadn't won the, hadn't won Wimbledon yep. for so long, and there was this national-wide obsession with a British player finally getting that national championship, I wish we did a slightly better job of creating that narrative here. Mm-hmm. Even if it is a little bit silly, even if it's like, like sports are fun and sports are silly. That's why we enjoy them. So, yeah. um, but so I don't know that I felt that like sigh of relief when he, it was more just celebration and awesome to see a Canadian guy do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I think, you know, the sigh of relief came with 20 years ago with Mike Weir, right. Winning the fair. major. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and to me, this is the only way this is even a close conversation is because it is our tournament. If you know, it, 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 unless you're going to win a major, it's not a major, but it's our tournament. And, and, and I feel, in, and I feel like at some point you also have to acknowledge what Brooke Henderson has been doing. She Completely. is clearly the best Canadian golfer, you know, on either tour. Right. In, in we've that, never had, in, we've never had a Brooke Henderson. Apparently. No. We, right. Um, I don't, I mean, in terms of individual sport in general, I don't really, I mean, you, Bianca winning a major, I have Bianca winning a major is probably my top Canadian individual. Um, okay. I had a weir. I'm more of a tennis person than a golf person, so yes. And where um, do you put Lennox Lewis? Ooh, he's right there. Uh, he's right there. I mean, the problem is that the Brits also claim him. So that that no, not. that's that's kind of the the conversation I yeah. have too, right? Like I, I think Donovan Bailey, um, like you know, winning Olympic gold, especially just and I, I even I, I would have been what twelve, and I understood the significance given the Ben Johnson of it all. I, I think that's a very special moment that just like didn't happen in the internet age, so it isn't celebrated in the same way. But I don't know, man. Bianca U.S. Open, I think that's number one for me. Yeah, yeah. I never thought I'd see a Canadian win a major in my life in tennis. In tennis, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, to me, we don't have enough of them. To your point, we don't celebrate enough of them. 
the quintessential Canadian moments, and I thought that was one of them. Um, Live at the 55 is off to a rousing start. Lots of positive, lots of uh, good uh, traction. Um, Week one, though, um, a little uneven, I thought, around the league, but maybe not surprising. No, I mean, it's not surprising. Week one is always tough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll ask a Stampeders specific question, so I'll, I'll try to move away from that. I think, like, my one takeaway from week one was just, like, the Bombers, that game was only, uh, like, they won by, what, 10? Yeah. Um, and it was only 10 because there were some weird freak things that happened. The Bombers are the best team in the league by such mm-hmm. a considerable distance right now. Um I would, again, love to see the CFL build marketing around that. I would love it to be the big, bad bombers who are out for revenge on the Argos for beating them. They can't believe they didn't win three in a row. This is their chance to lock in their destiny. Everyone else is shooting for them. They've got the target on their back. I'd love to see that because it's true. It's literally like it's completely accurate. We won't see it because the other eight teams won't allow one team to be the center of their marketing. But... Um, but it's the story that we should all be telling. That was it was amazing to see. I will say it was hugely encouraging to see over thirty thousand fans in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that mm-hmm. game wasn't necessarily a barn burner, but I was at a lot of games at Commonwealth last year that were pretty horrible. Um, if the CFL isn't working in Edmonton, the league's in a whole lot of trouble. So it was really great to see. Um, that's such an important market, and it was just nice to see. And that that was a tight game that Edmonton could have won. Um, and then, I don't know, Ottawa-Montreal is probably best to just pretend it didn't happen and uh, <laughs> move on. Well, and I, I really, I you know, I don't have much to add to the, the Calgary game other than, um, you know, the old Simpsons line. Is this the right time to panic? Uh, you know, the crowd, the offense, it just hit me like a wet fish. Um, and, and maybe that's because we've been spoiled. Yeah. Now, I will say that, like, it's an internal debate that I've been having um, all sort of weekend. Um, I am not panicking about the crowd. Okay, good. Um, I think that it is, honestly, there's a constant debate in the CFL about moving the season up. Yep. Um, Nobody wants May football in this country. We have hockey going on. The weather's finally getting nice. It's fine in the summer. Um, It should only really, I, I, I mean, here's my thing. This is where I become a hypocrite because in the summer I say, well, Friday and Saturday games don't work because everyone goes to the mountains. Right. And then I'm like, well, it's a school night. Why, why the heck are we doing a, a Thursday night game? Yeah. Um, all of which I agree with. BC is not a big drop. The attendance will not be great this year, but we'll be better than that. And Jay McNeil has already started all of these pretty amazing processes that I think are really going to work okay. um, long-term to bring people back. Good. As far as the actual uh, way that the Stampeders played, Pretty awful. It was not a fun game to watch. Um, but this is something that I I did a, a little bit of research, although it's hard because the CFL stats apparatus is not working right now. But like the Stampeders have won two of their last seven opening games. Hmm. Um, they they are not good. They've been over seven hundred in that stretch um, as a football team. They are not great in opening games. Hmm. I think a big part of that is they really, really, really put an emphasis on getting their sort of rookies who they bring into t- training camp game time. Gotcha. And, I, and I think that it results in their veterans sort of not being quite ready to go by the time week one works. And David, Dave Dickinson has acknowledged that and is looking to fix it. Um, but it's not panic time yet. If they look bad against Ottawa on Thursday, push the panic button. I'm willing okay. to, I'm saying that's, a, that's like, 
a loss where they play well, you don't have to panic. But if they play badly and the offense looks as disjointed as it was, there, you know, you've had you've had two weeks of practice, you've had a training camp. There's yep. no excuse for for two games where they look like that. You got a busy week. You got this show on Monday on Wednesday, and then yep. you've got another edition of Live from Fifty Five coming up on the drops Thursday morning, right? Yep. So we'll be sort of a, I'll have a long day in the studio on Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love it. It's, it's been so much fun. So it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, we, you know, it's cool for us because y- you had your success last week and Cammy had her success last week too. We should point that out. Awesome, too, right? Yeah. I believe she is going to come in on Wednesday. So, Oh, um, we should, okay, cause they were asking like, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to try to taking over the show is what Jack said. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, um, I believe that she is in either Ottawa or Montreal for accepting mm-hmm. the, or she's doing something with U sports, but I, I believe she is back Wednesday. And, uh, I'll say that while you're the best in the business, if you can do this without a co-host, as I am finding very quickly with my live from the 55, talking on my own on camera is so different from having some of the bands off. <laughs> like, oh, man, is it stressful. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so Cami, uh, I believe she's coming in to help me out on Wednesday, which is awesome. Uh, and I'm helping her, too. I mean, it's a, it's a joint. It's a, it's, I love playing off Cami on air, so. Perfect. All right, buddy. I appreciate you covering me on Wednesday and thanks for co- covering with us today. This was great. Thank you so much for having me on, buddy. Cheers. All right, pal. Yeah. Right. Yanny Austin, live from 55. And he will be uh, hosting. He was supposed to host the show today, but you know, the Flames had other ideas. Uh, guest brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, Ski Seller Snowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary. Currently, one location. There's four in the winter, but one location right now. That is McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. You can always go in and dream. If you're like me and you prefer the winter to the summer because you can dress for the winter, you can always go in and dream. Because winter is coming. It is. It's not just a tagline for Game of Thrones. Whether we like it or not, it may not be till November. It may not be till December. But at some point it will come. The ski hills will open. The snowboarding will uh, commence. And you should be ready for it. Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com. As mentioned, Danny will be in on Wednesday, Friday. How about this? Uh, it's a hockey extravaganza. Hall of Famers everywhere. Uh, Peter Marr and Eric DeHatchuk, uh will join us on Friday. So that's coming up. By the way, uh, if you uh, haven't been paying attention, and I hope you have, Barnburner's moved up. It's at 10 o'clock now. Um, they're going, I think we're all going to kind of uh, hit real hard right into the draft into free agency. You heard uh, Ryan Pike talk about it from Flames Nation. We're going to be down in Nashville for this, so we're going to have all kinds of coverage. And then we'll see where it takes us into July. Um, And then it's two months and back into it. Can you believe it? Um, It's it's crazy. It just seems like... uh, well, we haven't really officially hit the summer solstice yet. That's coming up on the 21st. Uh, final mile today. Just a, a couple of notes. I want to go back to um, the CEBL and the Calgary Surge team that I do work for. So I want to make sure we're all uh, up front on that. A uh, couple of uh, big wins over the weekend. Five and one. Now three games in five days up at Wind Sports. So if you're a basketball fan, make sure you check it out. Uh, it has been nothing short of a revelation for me uh, to be working these games and to meet uh, the basketball fans and the people in the community uh, from the Calgary Basketball Officials Association to the Alberta Basketball Association and the people involved. Uh, the community is fantastic. Um, the, the games have just been nothing short of, of, of brilliant. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure you do. But also in the same token, 
our friends over the Cavalry, they got another win this weekend uh, at Atco Field. Uh, we'll certainly encourage people to go out and check out uh, the, the Stampeders. We are really turning into a 12-month-a-year sports town, not to mention all of the amateur and, and college sports that are going on and all your kids' sports and things like that. Uh, but what a what a revelation here in the last couple of months. And we've got a women's professional league soccer team coming on stream in the next couple of years, likely a professional women's hockey team coming on in, in the next couple of years, uh, really turning into a great, great, great year round sporting area. You got to love it. Well, we always were, I guess. Uh, thanks to our guest, Ryan Pike. Thanks to uh, as well, Danny Austin from Post Media. Congratulations to Ryan Huska becomes the 24th head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, he now begins the search for his uh, staff. That should be fun. Off Wednesday for me, but Danny Austin's here. I'm back on Friday. Thanks to RJ. Thanks to Jack, our outstanding producers. They make this show look much better than it really should. And thanks to you for tuning in. Today was a big day and a lot of fun. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.